Hi, everybody. Welcome to the 54th, yes, 54th edition of PR Masters Podcasts, brought to you by the Stevens Group and Compro. I'm Arch Stevens, your host. Today, we bring you a true leader in the world of public relations, Michelle Olson. Michelle is currently serving a one-year term as chair of PRSA. She's also managing director and head of the Phoenix office for Lambert, a Michigan-based public relations firm with offices in three states. Lambert works with clients ranging from global brands to emerging leaders in a variety of industries, including automotive and mobility, consumer education, financial, financial and business food, and food and beverages, and healthcare, and so on, the full range of public relations subjects. In the interest of transparency, my firm, the Stevens Group, recently facilitated the acquisition of the Vandiver Group in St. Louis by Lambert. That has been my pleasure, and of course, Michelle and I have known each other for a number of years, uh, going back to the Counselors Academy and PRSA. And Michelle has been in public relations for more than 30 years, and her firm is part of Lambert, which became a fact in 2014. And in 2018, Michelle was named one of Arizona's most influential women in business by Bizazz Magazine, and her firm ranked number three as the largest PR firm in Arizona, the number three largest PR firm. She launched her career in Minneapolis, but made her mark in Arizona for 27 years. So I'd like you to welcome along with me, Michelle Olson, who is currently chair of PRSA. Michelle, good morning. It's good to catch up with you. We're old friends, and I assume you're currently very busy with the annual PRSA International Conference. Oh, gosh. Good morning, Art. Yes, thank you for having me. We are very busy. The um, ICON kicks off this week, and we'll go for the next couple of weeks, all virtual, and programming almost every day. So it's a little nutty at PRSA right now. Well, it's amazing that it's being put on all together, really. You know, it's a, it's a massive effort, I guess, in the, the current environment in which we all exist with COVID and all. And the fact that it is being carried out is a testament to the will and power of not only you, but PRSA. Yeah, we had a, a good trial run last year when we had to pivot so quickly uh, to change it to a virtual meeting. So we've got one year under our belts. Unfortunately, it is virtual. Again, we so desperately wanted to have it in person, but that Delta variant just kicked us in the butt. So we find ourselves virtual, but I think it will be good. Well, I'd like to welcome you to PR Masters. Uh, it's it's good to talk to you, and we're going to have a nice conversation uh, today. Uh, and my first my first question is this, Michelle. You you know we, you and I have known each other a long time, and I know that you've had a euphoric career run recently. First, your 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 PR agency, of course, is now part of the fast growing uh, Lambert organization, and then you were elected chairperson or chair, as uh, uh, I guess as is is more commonly phrased. Of PRSA National. So, how are you coping with all this? <laughs> well, you know, I have been lucky or unlucky to continue to travel for business throughout the pandemic, but it slowed down all the PRSA travel. So, I think I've been able to get more done for PRSA um, virtually than I would have had I been traveling for that since I had to to do that for work. But I'm coping. I'm coping well um, with coffee and working out and <laughs> and we got a pandemic puppy that keeps me sane so i've been i think i've been doing i think i've been doing pretty well 
the um, founding, the firm that I've joined, so Lambert, you talked a little bit about it, is I joined that in 2019. The I sold my firm in 2014 to a New York ad agency and was working in health care, tech, and pharmaceutical. And then when my buyout was done, and you know that whole, the whole earnout period, yep, when the earnout yep. was done and my contract ended, I chose to um, get back into what I really loved, which was um, sustainability, sustainable cities, uh, mobility, how people move about the planet, and move, bought my biggest client out of, out of that firm and, and moved it over to Lambert which has been just a joy ride. It's been so much fun. I've really enjoyed it. So that also gives me energy to kind of keep that balance going between the fun part of work and the dutiful part of PRSA. Yeah. Well, I want to talk, I want to chat a little bit about uh, PRSA. I mean, I am a, a loyal member, have been for, for many years, uh, been active in it like you. Um, so what I'd like to know uh, to begin with uh, is um, – You've been in a leadership position in PRSA for, for, for quite a spell, but you now have the top leadership position. We all know that it's obviously a volunteer choice, but a great deal of time and effort are required. So why did you decide to go for it? You know, my path to leadership, as you've noted, was through Counselors Academy. I joined that in 1995 after earning my APR. And those were the days when you had to have your accreditation to be a member. And um, I found my tribe there. Like, I loved the agency business. I still love the agency business. And I loved being around people who were also helping to grow their firms and to share best practices and tips of the trade and all of that. Because I, I was a business minor in college, but I didn't run a business before I had my, my own firm. You kind of, like, get a little bit more information about agency management the older you get in an agency, but you're still not running your own business. So it was through Counselors Academy. And when I was at Counselors, we had this moment where we're like, we don't need PRSA. We are our own entity. We self-taxed. Mm-hmm. We were the most expensive section, probably the cockiest members, and <laughs> thinking mm-hmm. that, you know, agencies run the world. And um, that moment was one of those defining moments, I think. It's like, we're not going to leave PRSA. There, you know, I think PRSA birthed some other organizations that had we been a little bit more forward thinking back then in the 90s, that that may not have happened. But I thought counselors had a lot of strength and I wanted to see that through so that see them kind of that marriage strengthen between sections and PRSA. So then I became chair of Counselors Academy so that we could kind of strengthen that bond between PRSA and help our our section see the benefits that National was bringing. So fast forward several years, because that was 2008, um, I was getting a little bit... Um, little bit upset at my trade association because I didn't think that it jumped on the digital bandwagon fast enough. My firm became in 2007 when I discovered Twitter. Um, it, I thought that day it was at a counselors Academy meeting in Cabo discovered Twitter for the first time. And I'm like, our profession just changed dramatically and forever because now we can get right to our customers audiences we don't necessarily have to 
go through a third party to do that with as in going through the media. And I didn't think then that that people took it seriously enough at my chapter level in my city at national and really worked hard to become more of a digital agency because I thought that was the way of the future. So again, fast forward to like 2014, 15, I wasn't getting the kind of professional development that I needed with an agency that was solely focused on digital. So I was going to forays. I was going to these other organizations to learn what I needed to know and PRSA wasn't offering it. So got involved in the strategic planning committee um, to really help the organization see where where I, Michelle Olson, like that mattered, but where I thought that the industry was going and um, decided to run for a national board position that year um, after the strategic planning committee. I was not, I was not elected my first year and then went back and the second year was when the Western seat was open. So that to me gave me the opportunity to really put some influence on the organization to, to change the kind of professional development we had in this one area, which was digital communication. And so I, I think that I was able to do that with a CCO that we had then and, and really help the organization kind of uh, become more digital, more tech forward, um, less media relations, even though we need that and we need the writing professional development, I thought that we needed also to learn how to a PR person would do media buying and boosting and deeper analytics and measurement and social media. So that's really why I ran for the board. And then when you're on the board, you see a little bit more or a lot more of how the organization runs. And I thought it was important then that um, we were dealing with a bunch of different issues that we needed to focus focus on as an industry, including um, diversity, including disinformation, and including advocacy for our profession, and really thought that I could be helpful in kind of uniting the, our membership, so our chapters, districts, and sections with what was happening at national, because there was a whole lot of good happening at national that I think that people were just unaware of, so that's why I decided to to run for the board just to to make sure that we were keeping going in the direction that that I thought that we should be going in with those things like becoming a more diverse organization, really focusing on the field or in sales you kind of call it the field those chapters districts and sections which are vitally important to us as an organization and threw my hat in the ring and they picked me. <laughs> Well, I know what the process is like, having you know been through it myself on several occasions, both being on the board, being on the nominating committee, and, and so on. I guess those people who are not active in, in leadership roles in PRSA have no idea you know, uh, you know, what the board has to deal with and you know, what its, uh, what its uh, mandate is you know, uh, in terms of uh, helping to, to, to move PRSA in, in the right direction. And speaking of the right direction, you know, uh, three quarters of this year are pretty much over with, and uh, you've been uh, chair, you know, for one year. Um, do you feel that you've been able to accomplish many of the goals that you just described? You know, I 
I think so. One of the, I don't want to call it a gift, but one of the things that helped make it easier for me really was the pandemic. And I hate to say that because I'm still angry about how the world had to change um, so quickly and that we're still, that we're still in this mess. Everybody I think shares that same sentiment, but we were able to really, really focus. And I could, Last year, when I was kind of thinking about what I wanted this year to be like, I really wanted to focus on two things, and and one of them is is diversity, equity, and inclusion, and changing how um, the the room, so that we've got all voices represented and all cultures represented, because I really believe it makes us better communicators and counselors when we've got all perspectives that are looked at before we disseminate any information to audiences. And and if we don't have that diverse audience at the or the diverse membership, um, we're really robbing ourselves of being the best practitioners that we can be, I think. So I wanted to, to focus there, but I also wanted to break down barriers and really go in and attract students of diverse backgrounds to the profession, not just to PRSA, but to the profession. Because I think if you're a fantastic storyteller, if you're a fantastic writer and communicator or a a digital storyteller, if you've got that gift of prose and the strategy, strategic mind behind it, we want you. And so getting into the high schools and getting into not just HBCUs, but HSIs and other colleges to get these students to come and follow us was a real focus of mine. So the diversity, equity, and inclusion, the DNI committee is really important. And I t- attend those meetings and, and talk with those co-chairs frequently because the work that they're doing is so vitally important. The second thing that I really wanted to focus on was killing disinformation <laughs> or at least slowing its spread. Um, misinformation, disinformation, malinformation, like it's that's what's hurting our country. That's what's hurting us as people, I think, is is when information is created to do harm and then it is spread either unwittingly or spread intentionally. It's it's hurting all of us. And you can see the breakdown in civility and the breakdown in our communities as a result of people believing things that are on the internet. They're believing things that are on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and and there are people, just bad actors out there, whose job is to betray us, (laughs) whose job is to make us think something so that there's social or monetary gain at their end. So I really wanted to, to be a part of the organization that can teach people how to navigate disinformation, teach people how to identify it, and give them tools for if their organization comes under attack, for example, um, a disinformation campaign, what what do you do? That's not anything that I learned in college, and it's not anything I learned in my APR exam, and how to how to navigate a disinformation attack. So we created Voices for Everyone this year. It started last year, um, really wanting to advocate for advocate for the profession, but also at the same time, give our members the tools that they need to deal with things that they've not had to deal with before at the same time. There was, I didn't have pandemic in my crisis plan. I didn't have disinformation in my toolkit right. or how to do yeah. all of that as I've grown up in the industry. 
So those are the things that I think that we were able to do because we had, I personally had a little bit more time not traveling and speaking to to chapters. Um, instead could focus on getting these things done, but also able to just get around to more chapters and districts and sections because of Zoom. So yeah. it was kind of, that was the gift, a long-winded answer, <laughs> I think. Oh, no, that was no, the gift. Right, on the, right on the mark. Uh, Michelle, you know, you and I, uh, uh, I guess, started uh, our call it volunteer uh, relationship with PRSA uh, through Counselors Academy. Uh, I, I did that, too, as you did, uh, and then eventually, like you, you know, got into uh, PRSA national leadership uh, initially becoming a member of the board representing the uh, tri-state district. Um, has your view of PRSA changed uh, once you got into leadership from what it was, let's say, when you were not very familiar with PRSA, perhaps more familiar with the Counselors Academy, but not terribly familiar with PRSA itself? What did you learn that you felt uh, either had to uh, be dissuaded or or added to in terms of your view and your goals for PRSA? Oh, gosh. Um, I made a joke on January 6th, and if you remember what happened on January 6th. Um, sure do. Sure do. The, 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 I didn't make a joke about that. I made a joke about PRSA in that January 1, I took over as chair, and January 6, the curtain was pulled back, and I could see the inner workings of the organization in a way that I hadn't seen before. Mm. And what what I saw and what I didn't know, even being on the board, I was on the board for three years as you know, two in my as an elected, and then chair elect, and then today, well, I guess three as an elected, and then one as chair elect, so four years. Um, the chair has a lot more visibility into the inner workings of the organization than any other member of the board. And working closely with the CEO, you also remember that we didn't have a CEO when I took over. We had hired one on December 31st, and she didn't start until like the 19th, I think. So navigating kind of those first few weeks without a CEO and Michelle Olson is the voice of PRSA and an insurrection strikes our capital. And the what I felt compelled to do then and what I felt we needed to speak out as an organization, um, I had our CCO to bounce that off of and our executive committee, of course, and decide what to do about something like that. And what, what I saw where I had been critical before in Counselors Academy was I didn't know what staff did. There's a lot of staff people. What do they do? <laughs> There's so many people to run this organization. Is that necessary? And what I saw was the inner workings of a well-oiled machine in how I was supported immediately, how the communications team kind of came forward and helped me kind of really craft our, my thoughts around that incredible moment and how to communicate that out to our members and what the difference is between, you know, knowing who our audience is, it's our members. PRSA members are the number one thing that I care about as chair of PRSA. And before, the thing that I cared about was Counselors Academy members, you know, like we are the special section. We're the, you know, it was very, very um, focused on what I was involved in. And as I've grown in my PRSA journey, 
I care about the communicator, the the person who does the job that we do. And it's so varied now. Like we've, we could have a social media person who's a member, a digital person that is a video storyteller, but still a communicator. And like their needs are very different from, you know, a traditional media relations uh, professional and what their needs are. So have really focused on the communicator, but my view of PRSA changed when I when I became chair even more than it that it changed when I became when I was a regular member to a a regular board member and all for the better and and a lot more respect for what the staff um, deals with PR people are very opinionated as you know we are um, communicators are very very focused on what we need so that we can do our jobs better. And if you take, you know, then almost 30,000 people time with the student members, this pre-pandemic, we've lost members, unfortunately, during the pandemic, um, but pre-pandemic numbers, so you've got 30,000 PR people and students who are leaning on the staff, and we're very volunteer um, heavy in, in terms of the mission of PRSA. So I had utmost respect for the utmost respect for the staff and the, the volume of work that they crank out mm. where I hadn't appreciated that before. And I also, one more thing, and I'll, and I'll stop rambling on this, but I also became keenly aware of where PRSA sits in the ecosystem of other communications organizations in the world. And I hadn't really paid much attention to that. I'd paid attention to the PRSA and us as an organization, but not like how we sit among some of the others. So I became a little bit more um, proud of my organization and its breadth and how people across the world feel about PRSA and what we deliver from professional development to accreditation to accrediting schools and their programs and all of the, the hard stuff of, of a profession. And I just really became proud to be a member of this organization and I'm excited about where we're headed. Well, me too, by the way. I share your view as, <laughs> as a long, long time member of PRSA. I think I grew up in PRSA when I first started uh, working in the, in, the, in the wonderful field of public relations. So I'm going to ask you now uh, about a subject, I guess, that has, you know, been percolating for a number of years. Um, uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot, you know, but um, I just wanted you to share your views on on, on this uh, resolution, you know, that uh, the board uh, uh, put forward uh, before the uh, uh, National Assembly, which, of course, is the uh, legislative body of uh, PRSA, and it gets to vote on, uh, I guess, on all matters to do with policy and procedure. The subject of... Uh, 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 the the present requirement of being accredited, APR, uh, to be on the uh, national board. Uh, it's my understanding that you know the board which you head uh, has uh, kind of altered the requirement, at least in the form of a resolution to be voted on, uh, that requires PRS, uh, PRSA board members to be uh, accredited um, to be more flexible. 
uh, to allow uh, other leaders in the PR industry who are not uh, accredited, you know, to ultimately become board members. And that's up for a vote. Um, could you give us some, mm-hmm. some background on this and why you believe that the board uh, took this position on this uh, long percolating uh, matter? <laughs> I would I would love to. And um, I, I have a, a viewpoint that changed over the years. So I think that that's relevant to I'm very proud of my APR my accreditation and loved the study process love signing my name with APR after it I'm I value it incredibly um, occasionally someone will ask for it or I will see it I haven't applied for a job for so many years that it's not a, a issue that way, but I'm just very proud. It shows that I, I know a couple of things about this industry and and have taken a really hard test <laughs> in order to prove it. So, and I used to believe, so when this came up, I was an assembly delegate back in 2009, 2010. It was quite a bit ago when it came up. And my chapter here in Phoenix, we we vote the the will of the chapter. We um, poll the chapter and the board all talks about any bylaw that comes up, and then the delegates who go vote the will of the chapter. We are given a little bit of leeway to change if there's something that is in the discussion that changes our opinions, um, but for the most part, we vote the way of the chapter. I was against um, dropping the accreditation for leadership. Um, all so many years ago and because all of the reasons that you say when you're in the middle of something and that is so focused on you and your work and all of that you kind of tend to and when I was younger in my career anyway just tend to focus more insular Um, over the years I've met so many incredible people who are members of PRSA who are active in the organization who are in leadership roles and I would love to have their influence on the national board. And they're not eligible because they don't have their accreditation. So from a personal perspective, I want to see those folks be in a position to guide our society, to guide our association so that we benefit from how amazing they are. And a, one person in particular has been chair of two different big boards, one national, one local. and understands governance, understands all of the things that we do um, on the board, and she would just be phenomenal. So I want that opportunity to have that person be able to apply. And that's really what this what this bylaw amendment is about, is removing the must-have and making it, you know, highly recommended. It is highly recommended that the person be accredited, um, but they so that they can apply. It just opens the door a little bit to bring in a more, a broader slate of people to go through the nominating committee process. So I I have kind of changed my tune maybe five or six years ago when I was really pushing this one person to become more active. And um, I haven't changed it since. I didn't bring forth the proposal last year um, it did go to the floor of the assembly last year. It was written um, way differently, and it lost by a few votes. Um, and we had a little bit of a 
parliamentary procedure snafu during that same period, so there was a little bit of confusion, which we're solving this year by having me go to New York and sit right next to the parliamentarian so that I know what I'm doing and hopefully will take away any potential snafus. But we are seeing some really strong uh, support for it, some enthusiasm for amending <laughs> this requirement um, to be on the board of directors while, while, and also to be an officer. Even though there's a lot of people who the very vocal group that is opposing it, and I do appreciate our, your letter that you had sent out supporting it and kind of bringing up, you know, history, like reminding people that this isn't a, a horrible thing. It's not going to change PRSA for the worse. Um, I think it'll change PRSA um, for the better by being more inclusive and, and bringing in um, a broader slate of candidates. And we really, the governance committee, um, way back then in 2009, 10, whenever that was, we didn't have a governance committee. So that's relatively new. And these people are incredible. They are the people that you want digging into details and combing through bylaws and finding errors and find in, finding inconsistencies so that they can be corrected and studying what the the best practices are from other associations. And both the co-chairs of governance, they both have their CAE, their certified, certified association executives. Like they, I think that's what CAE stands for, but they are... Um, they're studying constantly what other associations are doing and just really trying to bring PRSA into that best practice so that we can be nimble um, and uh, have a little bit less restrictive bylaw and be nimble as the world changes that PRSA can change with it. Well, as, okay. you, as you know, uh, Michelle, you know, but you refer to the letter that I sent out. I, I don't know if I'm supposed to be impartial as the host of this uh, call it talk show, uh, but uh, heck, I am. I am partial. Uh, I have always supported this resolution. Uh, you know, back back uh, during my days as a member of the national board, I've, I've always felt, you know, as you obviously uh, do, that uh, PRSA is. Uh, uh, eliminating the presence of some great thinkers and leaders, you know, in our industry whose uh, careers are, are well advanced, but who are not accredited. Um, I remember the day that uh, we we invited uh, Richard Edelman, you know, to come to the national board uh, oh, and make yeah. the case, you know, remember, make the case for yeah. uh, eliminating APR. So that, uh, as, a, as a condition of being on the board so that people like him and other leaders in the industry, you know, could play a more active role in PRSA. Um, uh, obviously, it didn't pass then. I'm obviously hoping it does pass now. Um, and I, I'm all for it, as, as, as you well know. Um, but enough about PRSA. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about you now. You know, uh, first of all, uh, Michelle, tell us about your career. How, how did you get into public relations, by choice or, or by accident? <laughs> oh, gosh. I was that kid in high school that wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be a journalist. I didn't want to write all the time, though. I wanted to do other things, but I didn't know what those other things were. But was a communicator editor of my high school paper, worked on the yearbook. I was that, that nerdy kid. My husband still teases <laughs> me that I, that I lettered in newspaper. He's like, how do you letter in newspaper? I'm like, hey, don't ever 
don't ever squash a nerd letter. <laughs> so <laughs> I went to my guidance counselor in high school. She happened to be married to my math teacher. Um, and I said, I want to do this, but I don't want to do it all the time. What would you suggest? And she said, how about public relations? And I said, I don't even know what that is. And where do you go learn how to do that? And she defined it for me and, you know, being able to, to tell stories and to, to help organizations represent themselves out in the community. I'm like, that sounds cool. Are there events? You know, what do you get to do? And she gave me three accredited schools. I was raised in, born in Nebraska, raised in Minnesota, and she gave me schools in the tri-state area of Minnesota. And I chose that were accredited, had accredited programs. I chose the one the farthest away from my house, and that was in Moorhead State. Um, Moorhead State University in Moorhead, Fargo-Moorhead area, and jumped into PRSSA um, my second year in college and just knew that I had found my people. Like, I found what I wanted to do. I found the people who do it. We could talk about this stuff all the time and and do events and, and learn from others outside of our state and went to um, one of the national conferences there and then decided to become a, what's now called the National Committee for PRSSA. I, I ran for the district director job as a senior at college because I found so many people throughout the country that did what I did. And I had such limited exposure way up in northern Minnesota. And we weren't at all from a well-to-do family. We didn't travel much. And it just opened my eyes to what my career could be and how exciting it might be. So graduated, got my first job at Target in the advertising department because there was, mm. there weren't really many PR positions open when I when I graduated or no one no one would hire me anyway. So started my career in advertising, running a sales plan, telling all the stores what to put on their check lanes. <laughs> but I wrote these beautiful prose paragraphs about that because that's what I wanted to do. Um, after three years, really wanted to be in public relations, and Target at that time didn't have uh, – they had a PR person who was in the HR department, so there wasn't an opportunity for me there. And so I went to Colin McVoy, um, a PR firm advertising agency in Minneapolis run by Doug Spong. I know you know Doug. Oh, sure. sure and Doug. Yeah. Yeah. He, was, he was my first boss in PR, and – and trained me the Doug Spong way, like clients, mm -hmm. you're always thinking about clients. Clients are, they're the most important thing. And that's what we're going to do um, is make them happy. And then we will be happy kind of thing. And it was a wonderful, wonderful way to kick off my career. I loved everything about that agency. I loved all the people. Um, I got to a point where I was just cold. <laughs> I was tired of being in Minnesota so I moved to Phoenix without any ado, just like went, <laughs> boom, I'm just going to go to Phoenix and do what I do there. And the the community here was, wasn't quite as advanced as Minneapolis is a really, it's a hotbed for PR and advertising and lots of Fortune 500 companies and lots of volunteer opportunities, just a lot of ways to apply our craft. And that um, wasn't Phoenix at the time. It's changed a lot. I've been here 30 years now, moved here for the lifestyle, wow. stayed uh -huh. for the career, uh -huh. uh, worked at a pro, um, independent PR firm for eight years called BJ Communications. It's no longer around. And then went to an integrated agency called Lavage, and it is around. 
And after three years there, decided to hang up my own shingle and start my own firm. And it was right after 9-11. I was just dramatically impacted. I had twin boys that were seven, and I parked in the parking lot of their elementary school for two hours on the morning of 9-11. I couldn't pull myself away, and I just, at that moment, just said, I can't do this anymore. Like, I am working 50, 60 hours a week. I'm missing their childhood. Those people were just going to work. Like, they were just going to work, and they didn't come home, and I needed to make a better life for myself and for my my children. And so I quit in December. It took me till December to quit <laughs> and started my own agency in January 2002 and just um, worked with 1099ers for a while and then hired my first employees and just continued growing it until 2014. And I had just dealt with the death of my brother um, and I was his oh, caregiver. He had a, he had a, horrible uh, death through uh, head and neck cancer and took care of him. And while still running the agency, had a really good staff that helped me stay afloat. And somewhere in there, a guy named Ed Mitson came calling and he owned an ad agency called Finger Paint. And he said he'd heard lots of good things and everyone he talks to in Phoenix says, you need to talk to Michelle Olson. And he was looking for a place to start his agency here. And I think it was just a moment in time. And, you know, every agency owner, every entrepreneur thinks about their exit strategy. You kind of go into it, or some people do, go into it thinking about what exit might look like. And I know that's music to your ears. That's what you do and have helped yes, so many that's people. that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and your speaking at Counselors Academy was so influential in me thinking that way, too. Um, I think what what it came down to though is I was I was tired. <laughs> I had just gone through a really horrible year with my brother, and it was an opportunity for me not to be a, just tied down to a company. Then I could be free and do take my career in whatever direction I wanted to go after that, um, which was kind of appealing then. And it's still appealing. Like you you never I never know you know, which way I might want to go and I don't have to liquidate a a company now in order to do it. So that was really, you know, why I I sold my firm back then. Um, And now I worked for five years at Finger Pain. It was fantastic. I learned a lot about um, healthcare and, and pharmaceutical while still keeping our existing clients happy. But along the way, I um, learned a lot about urban air mobility and about um, how people move around cities and towns um, on the ground. The shared economy really grew during that time. And so we started getting clients that were autonomous vehicles and electric vehicles and helicopters and, mm-hmm. and things that are going to be how people move um, and transportation of the future. And that really lights me up. So when Jeff Lambert came calling and said, hey, I've got an automotive mobility department, essentially, we've got a practice area that's automotive mobility, I'd love for you to be the lead. I was like, oh my gosh, I could do that like all the time and work with clients who are really focused on what future trans- of transportation looks like. 
So that's been my career. That's where I'm at now. I'm a managing partner of Lambert now, and, and we'll be making a, a, a bigger announcement probably in the next couple, three weeks um, about leadership in Lambert. And I'm excited about that and where we're going as an agency. But I'm mostly, I'm so excited about where we're going as an industry. Like, I think that communication, well, PR and communications. It suited me so well. It's it's perfect for a perfect career for me. But I think never before have the eyes been focused so much on how companies communicate, where they step in, where they speak out, and how they say it and when they say it. And that's what we do. That's like the vital importance of this profession right now is is really putting their organi- communicators putting their organizations on the right footing in a very tumultuous world. Well, you know, Michelle, you're 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 at the top of your game professionally, and uh, yet you're relatively young. Um, <laughs> so I guess I guess my question is, uh, you know, given what's happening, and uh, I have to assume that what you described about Lambert uh, leadership, without jumping the gun, has something to do with you as well. <laughs> Uh, so a premature congratulations, whatever they might, that might be. <laughs> but my question also is, um, where do you want to take your, your career? you got a ways to go. What's ahead for Michelle Olson? Oh, goodness. Well, um, I've got – I've been saying this, and it kind of struck me in the head the first time I said it. I have fewer years ahead of me in my career than I have behind me, and unless I'm going to work another – 40 years, which I don't intend to. Um, so I, I feel like the place where I'm at right now is, is the top of my game. We are growing an agency that is, you know, roots are in the Midwest, and I'm a Midwesterner, so I feel an affinity for um, Lambert in that way. But growing an agency that is so focused on what the future of communication looks like and also the future of investor relations and how money moves and how companies are bought and sold and capital markets and private equity and, and all of that. And that, that nexus between investor relations and communications, not many agencies are doing having, cause you, it's two different professionals, right? You need to have your investor relations person is very different in my opinion and what I've seen than a, than a public relations um, communicator. So we're building an agency that's focused on diversity, that's focused on um, integrated communication. So we've got, we bought an ad agency because we needed media buying and creative and video storytelling and all of the the visual that comes along with um, public relations. Rather than at my firm, I had a video intern or I had a creative person who was a an FTE or not an FTE, a 1099 and a freelancer. And so having all of these resources, because we don't tell any stories or do anything that's not visual anymore. A press release, if we send out a press release, you know, goes out over the wire with a series of photos or and a video or a quote or something that's um, so building this integrated agency that services, you know, kind of six, core practice areas, but really focused on um, creating a more diverse um, demographic within our agency, creating a more diverse thought, bringing in 
professionals that aren't your traditional um, public, like I feel like I had a very traditional upbringing in PR. I went to college for it. I'm doing it. Um, but bringing in lawyers and financial analysts and those kinds of professionals to be part of our of our agency. So I'm excited for what the future holds. And I think um, if all goes well, this might be my last hurrah. Um, hmm. But I think we're going to do some pretty big things. Well, Michelle, if I were on the client side, all I can tell you is that I'd hire your firm right now. Where do I sign? <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got hey. one more question for you, Michelle, and then I'm going to let you go on to uh, what you need to do in connection with the PRSA conference. Um, and it's a it's a question that I think will kind of help shape in our listeners' minds. You know, like who who you are. You know, uh, kind of what your thinking is, and uh, uh, and who. Uh, whose influence over you uh, obviously helped shape your career. So the question is, who are your heroes? If you, as, as we put it before the podcast started, you know, if you were to have dinner with somebody, uh, who who would they be? Oh, gosh. Um, this is the hardest question for me, honestly. I've got heroes within the industry that are numerous and almost too numerous to mention and you know a couple of them don't even know that I know who they are probably um but they were people that I watched closely and um I don't know if you remember Ann Barkaloo from in Minneapolis but she had I such do. an incredible career yeah. and watched her Doug Spong of course like the people that have been my mentors I think are are people that I would talk about but when I think about a hero I think bigger than that <clears throat> And, um, you know, who my real heroes are, and I think it goes back to the how I started my agency and why I started my agency. And it's the like first responders and healthcare workers and the people that are so selfless in what they're doing for humanity. And, and two, almost two years of pandemic, I'm sure, has put this top of mind for everyone. And I can't watch any sort of uh, tribute to uh, first responders and healthcare workers without tearing up because they they care so they ca- they care less about themselves than they do about saving people and the planet and and I just I hold them in such high esteem right now I believe that um, and I would probably put our American military up there too. And what I know now about military is so much deeper than what I did before. We're working with an aerospace defense company and, and we're really in the thick of it. So I know it sounds kind of cliche almost, but my heroes are the people that just put themselves out there for the better of everyone around them with very little focus on themselves um, because they know that it's the right thing to do. And by the way, that, that describes you as well, Michelle. That describes you as well. So, Michelle oh, Olson, Michelle, on behalf of our PR Masters podcast listeners, I, I thank you, really, for taking time out of your very hectic schedule to be with us today. And I thank you for sharing your knowledge and insights. You are indeed a PR Masters. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, Art, thank you. I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> thank you for having me. Feeling is mutual. Feeling is mutual. And I'd you like to thank care. you all for joining us today, and I hope you've been inspired and enlightened by Michelle's candor and honesty. I know I have. 
So this is Art Stevens signing off and saying, see you next time.